Hi, my name is Daphne Knaus. Um, my name is Sierra Moore. Um, hi, I'm Hannah Rose Albinus. And today we will be discussing the presence of performance as it relates to Walter Benjamin's essay about the aura in art. Okay. So, um, just a little background. Performance art is a genre that mainly gained popularity in the 1970s. Um, it involves a live performance by an artist, often in public spaces, um, and generally with an audience that's a lot of times unaware that they're being... And generally with an audience that is unaware that they are viewing a piece of art. The history of performance is deeply intertwined with the avant-garde and it serves as a means for artists to challenge what exactly it means to be an artist and how and in what circumstances art can exist in the world. Walter Benjamin writes in his essay that the aura as it relates to art in the age of mechanical reproduction is tied to notions of presence, temporality, and authenticity which I think relates pretty heavily to performance art. Yeah, um, the nature of performance art is it's often dependent on the refined presence of an aura, um, the atmosphere the work creates, and the circumstances with which the work is performed, um, and the circumstances of the audience during the time of the performance are what makes the performance a work of art in the first place. Yeah, I think it's interesting to consider distance as being integral to what manufactures aura in a work of art, especially as it relates to performance, mm -hmm. because the presence of a real flesh-and-blood human being necessarily creates a lot of complicated notions of distance from one another, distance from human beings, distance from another consciousness. Um, and then it's also amplified by um, now in the digital age, there being video recordings of performance art. That's sort of another level of distance that lends performance art a mystique that um, in, in previous ages existed because you had to be there to witness it and now exists because there are often low quality recordings of classic performances such as Carolee Schneeman's 1964 performance, Meet Joy which I think is a good, because that piece is so um, so frequently referenced and the video footage is so present in the canon of performance art that it, it gains many levels of mystique. I think also it's interesting because Carolee Schneeman started out as an abstract expressionist painter and has said that every work in her career is in some way an extension of the principles of um, abstract expressionist painting um, to consider her using human beings as sort of expressionist gestures creates another quality of distance of human beings being objectified and their interiority being both on display and sort of depersonalized in the performance. Yeah, and I think that, um, like, with Meet Joy, I feel like her using her body is a really big part of performance art because, like, the concept of the human body. Okay, so I think the body plays a really big part in performance art because it's, like, what they're using as their medium. So I feel like with Meet Joy, because she's, like, having eight people, like, with their naked bodies be covered in, like, meat and poultry and stuff, um, like, she's using the body as a material but it's also, it's like, it's her body, but it's also something to be perceived by 
like her audience so I feel like that's really interesting I think also that's definitely true the like perception is important um and how things change in perception and also just the fact that the props and like elements of that piece are so aestheticized it like turns into a different aesthetic choice in the video recording um but it's definitely not like I think of performance art a lot as being so like intellectual but in that piece I really see her abstract (laughs) in that piece I really see her um painterly background coming through um because she she makes those defined really psychologically charged um painterly gestures with the props. I also think it's interesting to think about um, the passage of time and how performance art is viewed now, like older work um, as it's viewed now, Um, because a lot of times the documentation for performance art is so sort of out of context, um, and it kind of... Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like what you were trying to say is like, I guess like performance art in the 60s and 70s, like you kind of had to be there to really like get the whole message that the artist was talking about because it's so conceptual but I feel like looking at it now like through a digital lens it's not like it loses its value but it's like you perceive it in a different way especially it's like more in context to like what's going on right now yeah I think it creates a a dissonance that is really phenomenologically compelling as it relates to the aura because yeah. it goes through so many different levels of transformation throughout time and the intentions become more unclear because then if if an initial goal of performance art was to sort of subvert some sort of capitalist like art world agenda now that the video footage is so often used in galleries and museums like the intention becomes muddied and changes yeah and it's almost like it's kind of like reverting its intentions become muddied because i feel like in the 60s and 70s like performance art was like so avant-garde because it's away from like institutions like what you're saying but yeah with like um with the video with the video coming into it i feel like like as you said since it's so in galleries right now it's kind of back to that institutional like view of it so it kind of feels like it loses its power to me it's back in the institutions and we're looking at it through a video. So it's also interesting like as you know performance art gained its popularity and like um, it started really with the happenings in the 50s um, and um, as time passed kind of the intention for performance art changed and a lot of artists started using video as a method to share their work. I think a really good example of that is the work of Laurie Anderson um, she's a very well-known performance artist, um, and she's also really well-known for her music work. Um, but she used video and, you know, inserted herself into a lot of her video work. Um, and it's very, like, technical-looking, and she, you can tell viewing her work that she really feeds into the aesthetic of video work um, and kind of how, at the time, new age it was to be doing that. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good example of that. Yeah, I think considering artists like that who worked with the very like 
primitive early forms of video performance. It's interesting to see how that's maybe transitioned into a new world of performance art that's like through the internet and kind of a deliberate like deliberate misinformation as performance art through the internet. Um, I think that that creates a new that there's a very distinct aura that comes about like people like Trisha Paytas who are like ostensibly internet performance artists there's there's a defined aura there um, that I think comes from the distance also of not knowing when they're being serious which also applies to like gallery records of performance art I think that like are they really serious that like maybe generates like the cringe the like cringeability of a lot of performance art I guess the cringe aspect is then kind of diffused through the fact that they're working with a medium that's so universal, but the dissonance of, are they, are they really, like, are they being serious about this? Is this true? That still exists. Yeah, I think Trisha's a good example of that because it's kind of like, is she crazy or... Like, I don't, yeah, I guess it is, like, performance art, because, I don't know, I guess with performance art, because a lot of the times, like, in the early ages of performance art, people involved in the, like, happenings didn't really know that they were being involved, or that something was actually going on, and I feel like that does relate to, like, YouTubers now, like, this new age of, like, people doing pranks online or like just acting crazy online like Trisha does like no one really knows that they're if she's performing or not because it could all just be an act that she's like doing like we don't know maybe she's just like a regular person but we don't really know like what's going on so I kind of think it connects to that as like us as an audience doesn't know if she's like faking it or if we're part of something like bigger or if she's just actually crazy so I think that's a good like connection between like then and now it's kind of like the spiritually bankrupt form of the happenings, which yeah. had like a very naive and optimistic sense of fostering community. Now it's like been stripped of that. Yeah. It's like the zombie happenings are people being insane on the internet. Yeah. Um, I also think um, comparing like a, a lot of maybe cringe or very like performative online social media quote-unquote performance artists to more intentional, like, I guess for lack of a better word, fine art performance artists who take their performance very seriously. Um, I think it's interesting that the work that, you know, gets the most attention and is the most speaks about is the work that doesn't take itself seriously and kind of walks on a very fine line of being an absolute joke and being something that's, you know, speaking on an important topic in today's age about, you know, how we exist in the real world versus online and how we perform on a day-to-day basis, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so thinking about how audience plays a part in performance art, um, I think Adrienne Piper is a good example of this. Um, So she's an artist that grew up in the 60s in New York, and she's like a white-passing woman, but she uses... Like, with her performance art, she uses people's, like, perceptions of her to fuel her art. Um, So I'm thinking of one. She has, like, a piece um, that she did for over two years 
called the mythic being where she changed herself into like a working class black man even though she looked like a white woman even though she was actually black um (laughs) but yeah so she's like and she would like go around with like an afro wig on and glasses and like smoking cigarettes and like just talking to herself kind of like like if you saw that on the street you would think oh that's a crazy person let me keep walking like I don't want to have anything to do with that but um like I like how she just uses like a marginalized character in a social setting to like gauge reactions from people and I think she does a lot of that with her work like she has a catalyst series where she would just do a bunch of like socially unacceptable things um just to like gauge reactions from people and like that was her whole art like not really like what she herself was doing but like focusing on how other people were perceiving her um well and I think that that necessarily creates an aura yeah because it like it's the it's it's not only the distance that we necessarily have from other human beings it's the distance that the varying levels of distance that we have from certain people depending on factors like race or class or gender. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like Yoko Ono and Cut Piece yeah. from 1964, which is interestingly the same year that Meet Joy um, was performed, mm-hmm. I feel like she's also playing with those ideas and yeah. that like she presents herself sort of in a neutral zone but we also know that she's an Asian woman I know that she said that anybody could perform the piece yeah but also in terms of the video archive that we have her identity as an Asian woman necessarily creates varying levels of removal and aura and connotations Mm -hmm. yeah I would like to hear Yoko Ono and Adrian Piper about that together yeah because also with adrian piper's like um her calling cards like because she came off as like a white woman i feel like i mean just as a white person in general i feel like there's a connotation where like if there's no other minorities around like I don't know what I'm saying. I it's just okay, the card is from past anyway. So I think a really good example of uh, a piece by Laurie Anderson where um, she experiments with video and in doing so she really um, bridges the gap between um, the happenings and the performance art of the 1950s and 60s um, to the future of performance art and how it, you know, it uses video and it uses the body in sort of a digital uh, context. Um, a good example is her piece, uh, the video she made for Oh Superman, which is a song that she wrote. Um, and it kind of, it's a blurry line, like at what point is it a performance piece and at what point is it just a music video? Um, but it's very decontextualized and it kind of produces a lot of sensory overload for the viewer. Um, and I think that's really interesting (laughs) considering, like, music video and just, like, celebrity persona as performance. So I think that also applies in a unique way to music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, so I think um, that's a really good example of her work, um, kind of bridging that gap and, you know, allowing the future of performance art to 
to take place, and also kind of changing the aura surrounding performance um, and turning it into kind of a, I think that now, like, regardless of what the, um, you know, the conceptual meaning behind a performance is. I feel like podcasts are also kind of a performance art. Yeah, in a way, definitely. And there's definitely a level of distance that contributes to their aura by the fact that it's disembodied voices. Yeah. I think also like things like that truck passing and you losing your train yeah. of thought. That's like yeah. an interesting performative concept. Yeah, definitely. That's that's very true. Yeah, because I feel like sorry to cut you off, but I feel like with podcasts, since they're so edited and it is like disembodied voices, I feel like. It's so far removed from what's actually happening. Um, okay, any closing <laughs> remarks? I think that podcasts are the future of performance art. Yes. Yeah, especially, sorry to bring up COVID, but especially with, like, COVID times, like, yeah. you can't really have a real audience that performance art kind of, like, requires. So I feel like podcasts are a good, like, bridge between that. And it's more accessible to everyone if you're trying to reach, like, a bigger audience. Mm, I think, like... It's interesting that you brought up accessibility because I think that um, performance art is like as it moves to you know the world of social media and and that whole scene. I think it becomes excessively accessible, but it also becomes really hard to discern like at what point is something performance. Um, and it's also interesting to think that like a lot of people are their own performance artists, but for an extremely limited audience on their respective platforms um, and just thinking that everyone is performing and using their body to become something it wouldn't normally be in some sense is kind of unsettling um, and it makes you wonder if, if the happenings is the reason for all that you know. thank you for listening thank you thank um, you <laughs>